Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament Lectionary Podcast. I'm Rachel Wren, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University in Ohio. And I'm Rosie Candethel, Hebrew Bible PhD candidate at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. This week, we are bringing you preaching tips on the biblical text for Sunday, February 5th. But this is Rachel we're dealing with here, so we'll have to wait and see if we're actually doing the first reading, the gospel reading, or who knows, I don't know, a poem from Emily Dickinson. I did hear the best poem this week. I know you were kidding, but seriously, it was a really, it was a fantastic poem. It was written by Dr. Naomi Shihab Nye. She's a Palestinian. Do you know her? So this is my first experience with her. Palestinian American professor of creative writing, and it's called "I Feel Sorry for Jesus." It's a fantastic, I uh, yeah, it's a fantastic poem. I love the title already. But yeah, you are actually doing a poem here. No, okay, no, sort of. So, Doctor Nice poem has nothing to do with what we're doing here. It's just I highly recommend it. But actually, I am going to focus on the psalm today, which is a poem as well. So I guess you could say we are doing poetry today. Got it. Okay. So we've got some poetry here, but it is in the Bible. (laughs) So win-win, okay? So Psalm 112 verses 1 through 9, right? That's the the psalm reading for February 5th. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. We've got a past episode on Isaiah 58 that folks can find at our website if they'd rather cover that text. So I thought I'd lean into my inner Enneagram 4 poet this time. Oh, the artist. (laughs) Sounds on point. Take it away, Rachel. (laughs) Okay, so for starters, I, I wanted to mention that this is one of the shorter poems in the book of Psalms. It's it's only got 10 verses in it. And I really don't know why the lectionary cuts off the one final verse of the psalm. It's it's a pretty tame one. It does mention the wicked, but there's no like bashing babies' heads against the rocks like in Psalm 137. So my encouragement, first of all, is to preach the psalm. My second encouragement is to use the whole psalm. It's a nice, solid little package, and it it won't add much to your worship runtime to include verse 10. All right, preachers, you got that? So include verse 10 in the reading, uh, <laughs> according to Rachel. Yes, that's right. Now, it is important to start by naming the elephant in the poem, so to speak. Verses one through three are right away going to leave some of us feeling squeamish. It starts out well enough. Hallelujah. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in God's commandments. So far, so good, right? I do love a good hallelujah. Exactly. Who doesn't? These couple of verses are a beautiful little summary of Psalm 1, which we've talked about before on this podcast, but in case anyone has forgotten, that Psalm also starts out by saying, Happy is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight, chafetz, the same word from Psalm 112, is in the Torah Adonai, the law of the Lord, or my personal favorite translation for this verse in particular, the word of God. And on God's word, they meditate day and night. You can see the connection points here to Psalm 112 happiness of the one who delights in God's word. It's like Psalm 112 is taking the theme from Psalm 1 and then expanding on it. So far, so good. But that first expansion comes in verses 2 through 3. The psalm reads like this. They, that is those who delight in God's word and commandments, will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. 
Hmm. What's going on there? Yeah. You start to see what some of the problem is there, right? Uh, So it says, what's the effect of their happiness and delight? They're granted land, wealth, riches, descendants, blessing. And this is where perhaps we start to get a little squeamish. These verses are talking about money. And more importantly, they're talking about financial gain as an aspect of God's blessing. I don't know, Rosie, have you ever heard of the thing uh, called the prayer of Jabez? Or I'm not actually sure how to say that, but have you heard of that before? Yeah, unfortunately I I have. (laughs) Yeah. So it's this concept, right? That if you pray a certain prayer, uh, so that's from 1 Chronicles 4.10, originally prayed by a guy named Jabez, then God will bless you with financial wealth. So like a prosperity gospel kind of thing you're pointing to. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, God is slot machine. I pray this prayer and I pull this lever and out comes the financial gain. Mm. There's an intense focus, at least in much of American Christianity, on wealth as a blessing from God that can be activated if one lives correctly or prays a certain prayer or does God's will. And there's some problems with that idea, not only biblically, but also theologically. So these verses from Psalm 112 will make some of us uncomfortable at best, and at worst, they feed into this idea that God is a slot machine focused on our material lives. So I see the problem, uh, but what do you suggest doing with it? Well, first of all, I think it'd be helpful to recognize that some of this is our baggage and not necessarily the baggage of the text. Yes, the text does talk about finances, or as it says, wealth and riches, but that's not all. And Psalm 1 isn't the only text that Psalm 112 is echoing. So if you're following along in your Bible, dear listeners, turn the pages back to Genesis 12. In some ways, the description of what will happen to those who delight in God's commandments echoes back to Genesis 12 verses 1 through 2, a really foundational text for us as Christians. It goes like this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So in Genesis 12, we have land, descendants, blessings, and wealth. That's the whole like make your name great and great nation piece. And so also in Psalm 112, we have land in verse 2 descendants in the generations of verse 2, blessings also in verse 2, and then wealth and riches in verse 3. So it's important to note that the blessing is much broader than just materiality, though that's also included. What we're seeing in Psalm 112 is an echo of the promises given to Abram in Genesis 12. So this psalm isn't just about blessings to God followers. It's really putting the conversation in the context of a covenantal relationship. Yeah, that's really helpful. It it does shift some of the potential preaching pitfall that you see here to think about this text in terms of the Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. So God is, as you say, of course, concerned with blessing Abraham and Sarah and Hagar as well with what they need to survive because mm-hmm. they're following this divine being into the unknown purely on faith. Right. But I wonder as well if it might be helpful to think of the wealth and riches in Psalm 112 in a similar way as what the faithful need to survive and thrive as they walk in God's ways and listen for God's will. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So it's not just wealth and riches. It's that which we need to survive and to thrive. And you can build on that as well. 
Because the psalm doesn't stop at God will bless you what you need to, th- to thrive. Actually, just after that, the psalm shifts in a really important way that can also mitigate some of this preaching pitfall. Immediately after the line about wealth and riches, the poem pivots to what sort of effect those blessings have on the people who receive them. So verse 3b reads, their righteousness endures forever. And verse 4 continues this line of thought. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. Now, the English translation actually weakens some of the punch of that last part of verse 4. The English uses six words in ten syllables. So they are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It's kind of lengthy. It's a little bit of a mouthful. In Hebrew, it's three words and eight syllables. And it, it makes it deliver as much more of a gut punch. Chanun, v'rachum, v'tzadik. Can you hear the rhythm there? It, it, it's like a drum. It's so rhythmic. So I might translate it like this. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright, gracious and loving and righteous. It's like ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. It's a drum or it's it's a heartbeat even. It's so steady in its sound. I love the way you're pointing to the orality, the Mm. performance of this text, because I think one thing that preachers might be thinking about in this text is how do we deliver this in a way with that kind of punch that you're bringing back, right? So something that helps it stick in the memories of our people as they think about, well, what are the ways that... uh, that, that I'm living out mm. this faith, right? And mm. so you're, you're kind of delivering that with these punches and you're reminding us of the rhythm and poetry of, of the Psalms. Yeah, and I, and I think that rhythm is then meant to be reflected in our daily lives. Literally the rhythm of our lives is mm. meant to be gracious and loving and righteous. Mm. And that's the theme of the rest of the Psalm. Steadiness in the light of blessings. The Bible's not dumb. I I mean, that's kind of a a silly thing to say, but like text after text after text witnesses to the ways that blessings, land, children, fame, wealth, power, lead God's people astray. So what the rest of the poem does is ground those who are blessed by God in what they will need to deal with those blessings responsibly. Verse 5 mentions conducting one's affairs with justice. That's mishpat. That's a huge word for not just justice, but legal justice in the Bible. Verse 6 says that the righteous will never be moved, but that word is moat. And moat means something like totter, sway, stagger. So those who are blessed by God and are able to receive those blessings with righteousness will not be swayed by those blessings, perhaps, and will not totter or stagger in stewarding stewarding them with care. Wow. Right. So that psalm, if I'm remembering it correctly, that word moat is also um, describing Cain when uh, Mm. when he describes his wandering. Um, Mm, But anyway, so the psalm sort of contains a veiled warning or at least an insight into what these blessings can Mm. tempt us into doing. Yeah, that's a perfect way to say it. The whole rest of the psalm is concerned with the groundedness of God's people in light of God's blessings. Verse 7 says it really beautifully. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. That word firm is one I've played with in the psalms before, and I was really excited to see it come up today because I, I haven't had a chance to do much with it, but I love the way it shows up in the psalms. It's kun, and it shows up a lot in connection with the heart in the Psalter. 
In fact, it's one of the most common requests from the psalmist. Establish my heart, make my heart firm, or you could say ground my heart, Lord God. It's a really beautiful request. This psalm suggests that it is as necessary for our hearts to be grounded in the face of bountiful blessings as it is for them to be grounded in the face of an enemy, verse 8. And what allows that groundedness is also in verse 7. The NRSV translates it as their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord, but that Hebrew word secure is batuach, and it's better translated as trusting. So the line would then read, their hearts are grounded, trusting in God. Whether we are facing an enemy outside ourselves or perhaps an enemy inside ourselves, what makes the difference is our trust in God, a God who keeps promises from Genesis to Psalms, from generation to generation. When we trust in and are transformed by that God, our blessings become something not to hoard, but to share. And verse nine shows this beautifully. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. So in this way, in this last part, Psalm 112 has one more intertextual resonance or, you know, one other Bible text with which it is in conversation. Proverbs 11, verse 28. It reads, those who trust in their riches will wither, but the righteous and the implication being those who are trusting and grounded in God will flourish like green leaves. Psalm 112 shows us the way to flourish and keeps us steady, grounded on God's path so that we can live as those who are chanun v'rachum v'tzadik, gracious and loving and righteous. It's a great psalm. Yeah, really. Thank you for bringing that home for us and for really just bringing out the rhythm and beauty of the passage. That seems like a great place to end for this week. And thank you so much, Rachel, for uh, the poetry lessons today. (laughs) It was fun. (laughs) Well, folks, that'll do it for first reading this week. Remember, you can find an episode on just about every passage in the lectionary by using our very helpful search box on the website, firstreadingpodcast.com. While you're there, take a peek at our merch or make a donation to help keep the podcast going. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found us helpful, consider taking a couple minutes to leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you find this. That helps us get the word out to new listeners and grow our community. Of course, the best way to spread the word is to share your favorite episodes with the Bible lovers in your life. Thank you for taking the time to do that. Until next time, I'm Rosie Candlethorne. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. Happy preaching.